0: ain't my first time at the
2: everyone you know what it is it's the cosmic peach podcast and we're back with kelsey for part two round two ding ding let's go how are you kelsey i'm doing well how are you i'm so good i'm glad that we're back for part two i am too because
1: i know i hinted at a little bit um like the walrus and the white album because honestly there's just so much to get into that if we had tried to do it all in one part, it would have been like four hours and
0: mm-hmm. I didn't
1: want to do that to you. So
0: right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I don't know that that would be the best thing for your, your show. Um, <laughs> But I don't think people listen to that. Um, If you remember last, so we were talking about the theory that Paul McCartney, the basis of the Beatles, um, died in 1966 and was replaced by a lookalike. But what a lot of people didn't know is that behind the scenes, they had already broken up. Uh, John had actually left the band in September of 1969. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, in the last episode, we went over a lot of clues. But like I said, there were still some we haven't looked at. Um, We last left off on Abbey Road, which was released in 1969, um, and it's one of the last albums the band would ever produce. But today, I'm going to take you guys back to 1967 and to the release of the Magical Mystery Tour. So this was a movie slash, like, I guess it was like a self-produced movie, and it had an accompanying album. And it was the first thing that the Beatles ever produced for their own company.
2: Is this the one where they go and destroy the cow statue yes
0: it is
2: (laughs) okay okay so i fucked up on the last episode because you said it and it was like i heard it and it registered in my mind but then i didn't realize what the connection was until after like several days later after i listened to the episode again because there's a biblical story when moses goes up on mount sinai And he's gone for, like, 40 days and 40 nights, and he comes back down off the mountain, and he has the two commandments, right? And God Mm -hmm. told him, and he sketched it on, etched it in stone, whatever. Because he was gone so long, the people had given up on him, and they built this golden calf, right? And they Mm -hmm. started worshiping it. And Moses was so mad because, you know, God's a jealous God, and all this, and no idols before me, and uh, idolatry, and all this. And he makes them destroy it, this statue oh. of the calf, and he makes them destroy it. And he gets so mad when he sees it. He Bust the 10 commandments into a million pieces and he has to go back up the mountain for another 40 (laughs) days and another 40 (laughs) days. And he's like, Oh, by the way, God, I I fucked up and I broke the first (laughs) set. I'm going to need those again. But I thought that was interesting because it's a lot of like false idols and who would Paul McCartney be other than a false idol if he was replaced by another person, right? It's like a false idol. Yeah. So, interesting connection there and then when we get to the walrus remind me because i have another story proceed
1: i just know that's an incredible point because one of the things we are going to get into is like the beatles and the idolatry and how people truly like idolize them and And how john was sick of it yes and the ironic thing is john was like oh my god i hate this and then like a couple years later he's like i'm god i've ascended
0: Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so you
1: know he was like a a self-satisfied prick so I think that's yeah. pretty public knowledge um <laughs> <laughs> but one thing that I was uh, actually kind of most interested in reading this and it's going to make me sound boring um but the apple art the apple the Beatles had their own company called apple core or like apple core limited and mm-hmm. it was basically their manager's attempt to make them profitable to make them tax effective because when they stopped touring that was their mainstream of income um and so they you know they might have made some like music that changed pop culture but they weren't really making any money off of it um but the interesting thing was is that it was like a conglomerate of things so they had like apple phones apple publishing apple records apple electronics um just they wanted to do everything um and just see basically what made the money Um, So the first thing that they did was they produced a movie. This movie is The Magical Mystery Tour, um, and it was released just five months after Sgt. Peppers, um, and it would follow the same line, like, it was absurd, it was surrealist. And one of the songs that exemplifies this is I Am the Walrus. So this song is rife with strange and nonsensical imagery, um, and it's not surprising considering the album that it's on and the album that it followed. Um, At this point, the Beatles were going in a more experimental direction, and so I don't think this was, like, it didn't make people happy like a lot of people didn't understand it um but I don't think it would have been that surprising maybe I can only say that because it was pretty obvious that like this was a direction that was being taken at least to me um Mm -hmm. but the thing about the song is that people who believe that Paul did die think that this is John's account of Paul's death so John himself said it was a song that was written to confound those that looked too far um into the Beatles music um, and there's a man named pete shotten who was a longtime friend of john and he quoted john as saying about this song let the fuckers work that one out pete he got his wish because <laughs> people did and they did too oh my god to death and by to death i mean people think that a lot of um the imagery is associated actually to lewis carroll um so he has a poem called the walrus and the carpenter which the song is i am the walrus and the publo- or th- or sorry—the poem was actually published um, in the sequel to Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, or you know, Alice in Wonderland. And John Lennon was a huge Carol fan. He even cited Alice's Adventures as his favorite book. Um, and this book was actually really popular in the counterculture.
2: But he was—he a- was obsessed with that little girl, and that's why he wrote Alice because he was a pedo.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, so- you can say that about a lot of uh, the works that have been written
2: yeah i mean they get up on to to a lot of dark shit and mm-hmm. the, when you said that about he was obsessed with the alice in wonderland thing it made me get the creeps almost because he, he the dude who wrote that was for that little girl like he wanted to be with her not like oh i think she's a sweet cute little girl and like she's no. just played. he wanted to be with her and i think she was like 12 years old at the time oh and the thing like
1: Obviously, I can't say anything because I wasn't there during that time. But I like people had to know, and like oh, for sure. John himself had some freaky tendencies. Um, he was also an abuser, which I feel like mm-hmm. it's glossed over. Um, but yeah, I feel like especially if you read something like that, it's like one of the in the know things. Like I feel like I don't know people. Might Do you that think he was a scumbag? John? Yeah. I do but I can separate like
0: the art from the scumbag
1: but he also like he was in the Beatles and they were one of the most iconic bands and they did a lot for music um and it's kind of hard to refute that I feel like um Mm -hmm. but I can also acknowledge that yeah like he was a piece of shit a lot of artists are pieces of shit like Elvis Elvis was a pedophile too so like (laughs) um, (laughs) yeah but you can't argue that they are icons for a reason so Mm -hmm. um but Yeah. So considering that Alice's Adventures would have been John's favorite book, it's not hard to assume that he might've read the sequel. Um, And so this poem, I feel like once you hear it, you'll know why John liked it because like there is a rhythm to it. There is a very absurd, like almost inventive way of speaking. There's like a lot of alliteration and the rhyme scheme of it is actually, it's like A, B, C, E, D, B. And so it's, I don't know, it's a little funky, and you're going to hear it now. The walrus and the carpenter were walking close at hand. They wept like anything to see such quantities of sand. If this were only cleared away, they said it would be grand. If seven maids with seven mops swept it for half a year, do you suppose the walrus said that they could get it clear? I doubt it, said the carpenter, and shed a bitter tear. Oh, oysters, come and walk with us, the walrus did beseech. A pleasant walk, a pleasant talk along the briny beach. We cannot do with more than four to give a hand to each. The eldest oyster looked at him, but never a word he said. The eldest oyster winked his head and shook his heavy head, meaning to say he did not choose to leave the oyster bed. But four young oysters hurried up, all eager for the treat. Their coats were brushed, their faces washed, their shoes were clean and neat. And this was odd because, you know, they hadn't any feet. Four other oysters followed them, and yet another four. And thick and fast, they came at last, and more and more and more, all hopping through the frothy waves and scrambling to the shore. The walrus and the carpenter walked on a mile or so, And then they rested on a rock, conveniently low, and all the little oysters stood and waited in a row. The time has come, the walrus said, to talk of many things, of shoes and ships and sealing wax, of cabbages and kings, and why the sea is boiling hot and whether pigs have wings. But wait a bit, the oysters cried, before we have our chat, for some of us are out of breath and all of us are fat. No hurry, said the carpenter, they thanked him much for that. A loaf of bread, the walrus said, is what we chiefly need. Pepper and vinegar besides are very good indeed. Now if you're ready, oysters, dear, we can begin to feed. But not on us, the oysters cried, turning a little blue. After such kindness, that would be a dismal thing to do. The night is fine, the walrus said. Do you admire the view? It was so kind of you to come, and you are very nice. The carpenter said nothing, but cut us another slice. I wish you were not quite so deaf, I've had to ask you twice. It seems a shame, the walrus said, to play them such a trick. After we've brought them out so far and made them trot so quick. The carpenter said nothing, but the butter spread too thick. I read for you, the walrus said. I deeply sympathize. With sobs and tears, he sorted out those of the largest size, holding his pocket handkerchief before his streaming eyes. Oh, oysters, said the carpenter, you've had a pleasant run. Shall we be trotting home again? But answer came there none. And this was scarcely odd because they've eaten everyone.
0: What'd you think? Oh,
2: that's morbid as fuck. It is. And one thing I so do realize So he tricked, is- he played on the oyster's vulnerability and they were naive and believed the carpenter that he was just a nice friendly dude and he ended up eating them
1: yeah they ended up eating them is and the walrus a bad guy they both are the walrus and the carpenter they're the walrus together. helped. the walrus is the one that said oy- oysters come here he was the one that brought so him on the, the walrus carpenter is a fucking of,
2: accomplice
1: no the carpenter's the accomplice the walrus is the perpetrator
2: uh-huh. uh-huh
1: yeah and that's what's into you know I am the walrus and this is from John's point of view
0: so um, he's the predator he-
1: yeah and I feel like he thought all of the beetles they were all the walrus all the carpenter and I didn't realize until now but there is something they're saying we can't do with more than four which there are four beetles I don't know if there's any weight to that but I think that's Oh,
2: beard. You know, I yeah. saw. So I think that there was Alice in Wonderland, right? And then there was like a reenactment or like a whatever where with real people. Mm-hmm. And it got. I watched it as a kid, and I'm sure there's many rehashes. No, it was oh, before that. I was like really little. <laughs> I think oh, they've okay, done right. it a couple of times, you know. Probably. But the best oh, one oh, is yeah, probably sure. Johnny Depp's. But I, I remember thinking that scene where they eat the oysters was creepy as hell yeah and they salted him and then ate him and they were all like don't eat me don't eat me and he just salted them and just slipped them down and Mm -hmm. i don't know there's probably so much to that especially being like that it's that paul was the walrus on the magical mystery tour as well
1: he was and that's what's um again, like what is creepy and why people think that this song is about Paul's death because this poem is representative of death. And there's, I mean, it symbolizes like deception, wisdom. And I think ultimately it urges readers not to follow leaders blindly, which is, you know, how John Mm -hmm. was feeling at the time. He was like, all these teenagers and young kids are looking to us for answers that I don't have. And, you know, the walrus and the carpenter, they're luring all these unsuspecting oysters along a walk before they eventually eat them. So it's kind of like I don't know, because he sympathizes at the end. He's crying, and he he's ex- exhibiting guilt, you know? So I think it deals with, like, an ingrained cunningness, but also sympathy. Um, and at this point... Do
2: you think, in a fucked-up way, the oysters could represent children?
1: I think so. I mean... I don't know. Especially, well, had John... John had Julian at this point, right?
2: Uh, he, Julian, is from his...
1: First marriage. marriage. Yeah. Cynthia so. that he beat. Um and he <laughs> I mean, also beat Julius. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I feel like I mean he knew what they were doing and he felt a little guilty, but at the same time it's like he kept going. Mm-hmm. He was still doing it. They were they were all encouraging these like altruistic summer of love ideals. He was growing disillusioned with that and he had this like growing cynicism. Um I guess in the world It does piss me ap- off culture. though.
2: It it pisses me off because I I love that song even if it's nonsensical. Love I it. that was that used to be like one of my summer jams, Siam the Walrus. Yeah. I I for some reason thought I was a walrus at my age <laughs> that summer. I was like, "I am koo cuckoo Cuckoo
1: Cuckoo kookoo koo. da gooba. How does that one go? Oh gooba.
2: O bladi, o blada.
1: Um oh another possible influence was actually the author James Joyce. Have you heard of him? He, oh no. He I don't know. Um I mean he was he, a
2: prolific he, pedophile, I'm sure. Oh I
1: mean, it was yeah, early 20th century. Put it past anyone at that point, really. They're just marrying girls off 12, who cares? Mm. Um but he's actually he's an author most known for a book called Finnegan's Wake. Uh, it's an avant-garde book and it's considered one of the most difficult works in all of Western canon um, because what? I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, I have not looked into it. I'm honestly very scared and intimidated and I might think that I could, but I know I'd take one look at the first page and be like, nope.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, I mean, again, it's like 20th century. It took him like 17 years to write. Um, And they think it or like, I guess, critics think that it was his attempt to recreate experiencing dreams. Um, And it's like 688 pages. And it's just, again, like amalgamations of language and imagery. Um, And it's about a family living in Chapelizod, which is a Dublin suburb. Uh, And then it's like I guess it's about this innkeeper's family um and there's just one night they all go to sleep and so it's about their dreams but you can't really tell if it's like dreams or reality because it's just like entire plot lines like mashed together and I found this so is the
2: point of it to make you mm -hmm. feel like you're in a dream state
1: I feel like it's gotta be because even though people are like oh it's just difficult it's actually a comedy it's um he's Irish I think so it's like an Irish comedy and like everything is like a play on words or a pun or like just some big joke altogether um and I found the summary and this is what makes me think that I I don't think I could because it says that it's um about these dreams that swirl and it's a vortex of world history and ambition and failure desire and transgressing pride and shame rivalry and conflict gossip and mystery which that's a lot (laughs)
2: That's that covers and it all. That covers exactly. every genre.
1: <laughs> that's every book. And one thing I thought was interesting is it kind of describes the Beatles pretty well, like ambition, failure, desire, transgressing, pride and shame, rivalry and conflict, which is what they were all experiencing. Uh, maybe maybe not so much in 1967. Their manager had just died at this point. Um, but I think most of their like personal conflict started in like 1968 or 1969. I don't was think it was it that because the fake call. I couldn't, I think so. Maybe if you're going with that theory, if you're saying that like, maybe the Beatles broke up because it wasn't Paul anymore, you know, they, they'd been friends since they were teenagers and they'd built this entire career together. And so, you know, it's hard to imagine that if you lost like one of your best friends, that you'd be just okay okay. with staying in the band with like this fake guy. And so you can imagine that that would cause tension. And they would ultimately just think it's not worth it. Like, it's not Paul. So why would we continue to put ourselves through this? Because Mm -hmm. they did go through, like, a lot of shit personally, financially, mentally, and I guess, like, spiritually, creatively. John, at this point, was pretty depressed. And have you heard help?
2: All right. I need somebody help. Not just anybody. Help.
0: Yeah. You know, I need someone
2: (laughs) <laughs> but that's a good one i like that one even it though is. it's not one of them more like it ain't it ain't like i'm the walrus but it was one of my faves yeah
1: it was his literal cry for help um but john john wrote a book and it was the first beatles solo project and in that book have you seen any Am i gonna have to find like a little snippet of this because his writing is i I don't understand Um, john john yes he wrote a book have you have you seen it it's a nonsense book it's like poems no because i don't
2: i don't read nonsense that's the thing is like (laughs) who is his audience with some of this stuff like who was he i guess if you were just a huge fan you'd read it no matter what i guess
0: i
1: guess but it is i don't i can't find the website that i was on but um, I mean, his writing was likened to James Joyce because it was also weird and just made up and nonsense. And like, again, it's one of those, those things where it's like, well, if you're in the know, then you'll get it. It'll make sense to you. But I, I'm not putting myself there. Um,
2: That's funny. <laughs> they say that, though, when John constantly said that all their music was nonsense and he he was so skeptical about. You remember you said in the last episode he was skeptical yeah. about the Beatles role. In, In pop,
0: culture. pop
2: culture. Yeah. Because, and especially, I think it was,
1: you know, the drug use and then like the heady ideals. uh summer of love. Like, let's be altruistic. We all love each other. And they were contributing majorly, I guess, like that, you know? um mm-hmm. But this one grossed me out because I can't, I don't want to imagine John Lennon saying this, but he was quoted as saying that finding Joyce was like finding daddy. Ew.
0: Uh.
1: <laughs> yeah oh I hated reading that
0: oh
2: Oh, that's cringy
1: it really is and I mean yeah his dad did abandon him but like I think um but yeah like I said though I am the walrus is the account of Paul's death um and so we're gonna get into a little bit of the lyrics and explain why um so there is that refrain of I'm crying which people attribute to either being John mourning Paul or maybe expressing his grief for the fans he's tricked like the walrus at the end that cries when he eats the oysters. And then the beginning accompaniment has a two-tone repeating pattern that mimics emergency sirens. Um, Maybe that suggests that the police were at the scene um, that were ultimately paid off. But if you believe that the Beatles were involved in the whole conspiracy, I talked about that last minute. That the Uh, Beatles...
2: That they covered up his death.
1: Yeah. And that they were... Okay, yeah. And then you might know the line, I am he as you are, he as you are me and we are all together. So a lot of people think this is the Beatles announcing that they were the ones behind the whole shebang. See how they run like pigs from a gun, which, you know, mm-hmm. there's that line in Carol's poem. Let's talk about whether pigs have wings. Mm. But I think it was, you know, well known, the Beatles abuse drugs, um, especially like Perlutin, um and Benzedrine um which were uppers um they started taking uppers in Germany because their tour when they were touring in 1966 it was so hard on them they had to stay up like all night and so they just took uppers um so that they could perform and so that Damn. they could continue to do what they do and that's why they wanted to quit because they were like man this shit sucks and we don't want to do this anymore okay. so a lot of people think that Paul might have been under the influence at the time of the crash. Um, And if they're notorious for abusing drugs, it might not be that big a stretch. Uh, And then if you remember, Billy Shears grew a mustache after the crash to cover um, scars from plastic surgery. And then there's Mm -hmm. that one line, man, you've been a naughty boy. You've let your face grow long.
0: And then the line, yep.
1: yep. And then the line, yellow matter custard dripping from a dead dog's eye could refer to the horrific injuries that Paul sustained. You, You believe, you know, decapitated, had his head split open. The list goes on, and then Mr. City Policeman sitting pretty little policeman in a row this is again a reference to the cops that remain silent. And pretty then one of
2: little the- policeman in a row. <laughs> Sorry, I can't. No, it. I honestly,
1: I think you should take your brother's place in the band. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. And this is the audition.
0: Let her in. Let her in. <laughs>
1: And then one of the last lines, um, expert, expert, choking smokers, don't you think the Joker laughs at you? Is directed at the the Stone College kids that are scouring the albums for clues. And then at the very end of the song, John recorded um, a scene from a Shakespearean play, King Lear, um, and he put that at the end of the song, which he says was just purely coincidental. He liked how it sounded. Um, But the play itself is uh, one of Shakespeare's tragedies and it ends with uh, King Lear's entire family dead. king then in turn dies of grief Um, and there are certain lines of the play that people connect to Paul's death the ones that talk about death Uh, one being oh untimely death Um, but people think it sounds like Paul you're darn near death which I don't know how you could confuse the two Uh, but the other lines that (laughs) (laughs) directly reference death are what is he dead and bury my body
2: bury my body yeah that I mean the whole song you know before we had this conversation when I would listen to that song as a kid Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure of the lyrics so I would just kind of make up my own shit as I went along like because it just was so nonsensical at some times like it would just be like random little you know like the pretty little policeman like what does this all mean And I thought it was nothing. It meant nothing. It was just a, you know. But now that you say it like that and and read the poem and stuff, I feel like there's probably something there. But it's, like, so encrypted. It is. And it,
1: uh, I mean, I, again, wouldn't put it past John. He had a God complex. He was narcissistic. And he very much thought, like, look at all these stupid little kids, like, reading into our lyrics. Don't they know we're just making art? and so he just decided it's abstract you wouldn't get it and i feel like yeah his entire thing is just like if you're in the know you're in the know like <laughs> but let's move on let's say to the walrus itself himself um in the paul's dead mythology the walrus is an image of death and fun fact a walrus is a scandinavian harbinger of death so there is a connection there um Though it's not immediately recognizable, I feel like a lot of the people who knew about Paula's Dead heard about the walrus. And so on the cover of the magical mystery tour, the beetles are all dressed in animal costumes. So there's like a hippo, a bunny, and then is it a dinosaur or a chicken? Because I honestly can't tell. Is it a chicken? Is it a dinosaur or a chicken?
0: It's got a beak. Yeah, that looks
2: like so it's, just it's like probably green. a pterodactyl. Ooh, might as well just cross them together it's a chicken and a dinosaur chicken and a dinosaur
1: <laughs> i know it's like i can't tell but we also have the walrus and interestingly, interestingly enough the walrus is the only one that's black
2: that is so that's what gets me is that they're all three in white and like holding each other you know and mm-hmm. then Paul's down in the front, not connected with him, and he's in black and Now we find out this walrus shit, and he's the walrus yes, and it it's, does it's really dark
1: it is, and if you remember like back to Sergeant Pepper's, the three black buttons there's this continuing idea of like there's only the three beetles, and Paul is the one that's left out consistently, and this is just another instance of it
2: and the boutonniere um, on his jacket the it was black and the rest of them had like tulips or something.
1: Yeah, and then his wizard hat had black flowers, the only one with black flowers. Like, mm-hmm. he's consistently isolated and surrounded by the color black. And so they're dressed in the same costumes on page five of the, um, the picture booklet that came with the album. And so the walrus is sitting behind the piano, which, is it John? John played the piano and then in the song he even claims to be the walrus. And if you remember um, the comic panel on page nine of the, mystery, the Magical Mystery Tour booklet, John claims to be the walrus again. However, that claim is refuted instantly by little Nicola, who's a character of the Magical Mystery Tour.
2: I got something to say about that comment you just made about the piano. What? what? Because you never saw fucking Paul hammering the keys until after fucking Billy Shears showed up. Because if yes. you listen to his solo shit, when the fuck did he become like a pianist? A pianist. I don't know.
1: But, um, you know, Billy Shears was said to be a pretty talented musician and played like, what, over 20
0: instruments?
2: Over 20 instruments, yeah. You never I- saw Paul hammering those keys before Billy Shears.
0: Mm-mm. And
2: then- Very interesting. Yeah.
1: And so the last panel where Paul's in the egg, if you remember that symbolizes like... Yeah three birds says i am the walrus says john no you're not cries nicola laughing at the funny feathery hat and then even on the um, the track list on the album next to the title of i am the walrus it's followed by no you're not so little nicola so even though john's claiming to be we have all these people that are refuting the claim and that makes you wonder like who is the walrus then mm-hmm. john says it's him everyone else says it's not him Well, we're told exactly that um, on Self-Titled for the White Album. So there's a song called Glass Onion, uh, which was on the track list of the Beatles. And in it, John references many of the Beatles songs, including Strawberry Fields Forever and The Fool on the Hill, which we both discussed as references to Paul's death. And the term Glass Onion, John really liked it. He wanted to sign a band to the name, um, to Apple Records, but they didn't take that. Um, But he was really fond of it. Um, He was really fond of the irony produced. So like transparency, layers. I'm sure he internalized that. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I read that um, a glass onion is British slang for a monocle, which you would use to look for flaws and imperfections. So if we apply that to our theory, then John is scrutinizing the role that the Beatles played to their fans. And so he's continuously just questioning Like I guess their entire career and what they've done and how they have influenced the people around them and all these people globally. What do you
2: think about what like like remember what I said in Abbey Road about the black and white symbolism? Yes. Isn't the white album literally a white? It's just white album. With does it say the Beatles in black?
1: I think it is. It in white or it's either in white or black. But you're right.
2: And then in the white album. Mm-hmm. you have it's in black yeah you, the beatles in black the beatles, right? yeah is
1: in black yeah sorry
2: yeah okay that's what i thought so you get the black and white symbolism again but then you have strawberry fields julia which was john lennon's mom's name mm-hmm. which he said that he was oh my god julie
1: speaking of yeah. fuck, he said that he was so he was sexually attracted to his mother. And he was oh, like, the, the only thing I regret. He was like, the only thing I regret is not making a move. She would have been down. Oh
2: my god. Are you serious? Yeah. You're joking. No. You're I pulling my fucking chain. I wish I was, Julie. Oh my god. Let me go throw just, up real fast. I just wish we would stop
1: proving Freud right, you know? Oh
2: my god. Yeah. Um, his mom his mom his bio mom biological mother see now i'm sure he was a freakazoid he was a fucking freakazoid oh yeah which Um, is probably why he named his first born after her julie Mm. julian Uh,
1: i don't like those implications
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh god okay
1: i digress Um, But one thing I've also seen is that a glass onion could also refer to like the glass knobs at the end of the handles that pallbearers carry, like on a coffin or um, being a coffin with a see-through lid. But the most important thing about a glass onion is that it references I am the walrus. So where once John was idealistic and he actually subscribed to the ideals that they were encouraging, um, at this point in time, he saw that, that the Beatles were con artists, again, not unlike the walrus and the carpenter. Um, so there's one line and Glass Onion that goes, "Well, here's another clue for you all: the walrus was Paul." So is he putting Paul down for continuing to further the heady ideals of the Beatles? You know, he's
2: man. He thought- you're bringing back all of my childhood now because <laughs> you know it's almost like, and this could be in true conspiracy theory style, that the songs put you in a trance-like state because you're listening to them, but you're not comprehending what they no. mean because i i would sing that part mm-hmm. the, the walrus is paul and mm-hmm. you just go okay well that's cool they walrus, tied the yeah. song in
1: mm-hmm. um um but you know once john was guilty in this role um but now he's like woken up from it ascended again he's self-satisfied um so he's shifting the weight onto paul's shoulders now he's like oh well it's all paul's fault it's all paul's fault that we were doing what we're doing but even though we talk about the walrus a lot, I'm like, then who's the carpenter? Is it not just John and Paul? Is like, it? I, I feel like it so is. He's they were the not, carpenter. John's the carpenter.
0: Fee.
1: They were like the two front men of the Beatles. They were the two born leaders that ended up having like a rivalry. You know? Yeah. It's like we're always talking about the walrus. Who's the carpenter?
0: it has gotta be mm-hmm. one of you. Yeah. So if
1: it's not Paul. Um, And then, I mean, the last word on the Walrus itself comes from John um, in his song God by John Lennon and the Plastic Ono Band uh, that was released in 1970. Uh, The album that this appears on was John's first solo album, Post Beatles. And the song is, I think, especially representative of the direction that he was taking. um, One that was entirely at odds with the lovable image of the Beatles. I mean, at this point, he was addicted to heroin. And uh, I don't I don't even know how to describe it. But he was so in love with the idea of just like him and Yoko being this perfect like I don't even want to say hippie couple, but just like so artistic and so different and experimental, and we just do everything for the art and for peace, um says the abuser. Uh, but that is funny song,
2: and ironic, but do you know how like, do you know what started his obsession with her?
1: Probably the fact that he was married. <laughs>
2: Uh, probably, but I'll <laughs> tell you this story. Tell me, tell from me. The, so I asked my brother about this one time because I, I, we be talking about stuff like this often. And I said, what is your stand on whether or not Yoko broke up the Beatles? Mm. He goes, I don't think she did. And I'll tell Thank you why.
0: You.
2: Yeah, Thank he you. says, I don't think she did. And I'll tell you why. He goes to an art exhibit. He's looking at all the art he comes to one piece and it's a ladder like you would use to like paint the top of your ceiling or something just a regular ladder but it's like super 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 tall and you have to climb all the way up the ladder to get to the art piece at the top so he climbs the ladder gets all the way to the top and then at the top he thinks it's going to say something like really negative like haha look what you just did you just climbed a ladder and bought but it was like something really positive and like uplifting and just some beautiful message at the top of the ladder like look what you can achieve or like something like that and he goes wow I want to meet the person who put this together it was Yoko Mm -hmm. and so from that point he had like this weird fascination with her and he pursued Yoko it wasn't the Mm -hmm. other way around I do I think she can sing hell fucking no (laughs) but she, I, I don't think she was a bad person but I do have a story about her being a dickhead after he died which I'll tell you that later, but proceed with it. The-
1: because I, I truly, I don't know that much about her. I mean, this is kind of like the most research I've ever done into the Beatles. Hmm. Um, so, I, I mean, mean, everyone you just pick knows that she's infamous up, like, for it, though. You
2: know, you, you pick things up while you go along in life, and that was one of the things I heard. But then I did oh, see, yeah. because I got wondering after that why people hated Yoko so much so I kind of looked into that a little bit and I'll tell you what it is so I can just oh, get this part over. Okay. yes yes after John died Julian went to get some stuff that he wanted to keep of his dad's right yeah. to keep it. it wasn't even anything of any monetary value to anyone else but to Julian it was just his dad's and he wanted it and Yoko wouldn't let him have it and mm-hmm. made made Julian buy it from her for like millions of dollars. And it was like little postcards that he had written to his dad or like little, oh little letters God. and stuff like, like handwritten letters that John had written to Julian and she wouldn't let him have them. And she made what him buy God. them from her. So yeah, in the end she was a <sighs> fucking asshole, but yeah. I don't think she was the reason they broke up, but she wasn't just the sweetest peach in the pot. no,
1: Oh, okay. Yep. No, yeah. I got it. <laughs> like, oh my god. Well, at least you guys were right about a little bit.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, this song. Um, I think I made you listen to it. um uh, but it's an entire list. There's an entire list, I guess. Like, I wouldn't call it chorus bridge. I don't know. Um, but it ranges from like deities, like Jesus. Uh, to mass murderers like Hitler's and it even mentions the Beatles he says I don't believe in the Beatles anymore he's denouncing all of this it's just him and Yoko now and so uh, the end of the song goes the dream is over yesterday I was the dream weaver but now I'm reborn I was the walrus but now I'm John so this perfectly surmises all of it you know he believes he successfully separated himself from the Beatles he's not the con artist artist that he once was He's he's ascended and the is he room.
2: though?
1: <laughs> is he? No, I know. Again, self-satisfied.
2: Because um, in that <laughs> the one part, and he goes like, "God is a concept in which we measure our pain." True, but then sure. he goes, "I don't believe in Beatles. I just believe in me." Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, which I'm is here. famously quoted in Ferris Bueller's Day Off.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just throwing that out there.
1: <laughs> oh, we should watch that movie. Um, but yeah, definitely sorry. a good movie, but no, it's a great movie. Sorry. I got yeah like, I no I love that in that a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so although this song was written in 1968, John claimed that he wrote these lines because he had, he had intended to leave the Beatles in 1968. Um, so now we can talk about kind of the album as a whole. So I think this album is and should be cited as one of the like best break of like best albums ever produced. Right. Like it was so, it was so diverse and so experimental and every song was like its own genre and the Beatles were all in different spaces creatively, which while it ended up being like a good album, you can tell that it there's dissonance. So even though it was released um, before the official breakup of the Beatles, you can tell it was an album that was made by a band that fell out of love. There's a lot of dissonance again. um, They were all in a different space mentally, spiritually, and artistically. Um, and John and Paul broke the all-important rule of no wives or girlfriends in the studio so I think this is where people try to say that Yoko's the one that broke up the band because like oh well she was allowed in the studio and they'd never done that before and that's why it didn't work out which did it create some tension sure but ultimately it's not her fault um, because Paul brought Linda into the studio but I don't think I'm right like they were just invited
0: Mm -hmm.
1: they were just invited and they went there because they were invited by their partners um and like i think there was like a two-week period um during the recording of this album that ringo just left and so that's why um back in the ussr uh, and another song i think it's the first two tracks is it the first two tracks on the album but paul drums in a couple of them because ringo had quit um so paul's on back in the ussr good thing Um, billy
2: could play the drums
1: good thing, right? That's what I'm saying. Again, (laughs) another one of those funny instruments. Because I don't remember Paul being a drummer either. I
2: don't remember Paul ever drumming before.
1: (laughs) That's what I'm saying. And then George also temporarily quit in January of 1969. So, like, you know, it wasn't just Yoko being there. There were a lot of Mm -hmm. things going on. And at this point, the collaboration that had once to find the Beatles had dissipated. Each member was writing their own tracks. they were were recording at like three different studios all at the same time, like hardly ever together. And when they were together, they were just using the other other members as like backing for their band, you know? Mm -hmm. So they were far from that unified group that they once were. And Paul himself even described it as the tension album we were just about to break up. So like I said, it's a very fragmented mix of styles and genres, um, themes and creativities. And the difference between the space that the Beatles were occupying is stark. Um, the songs range from star like OBD, OBD. I can never say it
2: safely. Yeah. <laughs> oh bloody, oh, uh, life goes on. Yeah, life goes on. But you know, I liked. You know what I would compare it to is like if you marry your high school sweetheart, right? Because they were in high school when they were when they started the Beatles, right? Yeah,
1: they were like. I think, was John, John was 17, Paul was 15, maybe? And they so really got because their mothers died.
2: Well, it's, it's like you were BFFs in high school because you had a high school mentality, right? But then exactly. you get older, you change what you like, you change who you are, everything about you changes. And then you realize, like, oh, I don't even like this person anymore. Exactly. People are going to And it's apart. not that, like, I, I think George was right and John was wrong or John was right and George was wrong it's just they were different and yeah, at that point apart. they needed to be separate so they could express their own personalities yeah. at From the point. time that
1: they were teenagers they wrote like all of their songs together even if they didn't write the entire song with the other they would go to them to see like can i make this better their songs were just like intrinsically linked and well I think that and I was, billy
2: <laughs> um,
0: oh billy billy
2: shears he fucking wrote for ringo after they broke up, he still wrote songs for Ringo. Did you know that? Uh-huh. So, know even that. though they had solo careers, he didn't want Ringo to feel like, because Ringo was never the writer. You know what I mean? No, so, he, he wasn't. wrote songs for Ringo. Yeah. Ringo, Ringo tried, but. <laughs> he tried, bless his heart. He tried.
1: Yeah, bless his little people, heart, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but I, George gets so
2: overlooked. George was so good. And I feel like you can Man, George talk. is George is my he's my favorite Beetle, and I'll stand by that right? till the day I die. Because exactly,
1: you'll never change. My mind. He
2: was good looking. He was better looking than John and Paul. I don't know why the, all the fuss about John and Paul. George was better looking. Mm-hmm. He was more spiritual. Taller. He wrote. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean he he wrote great songs after they mm-hmm. separated. All oh, things. Gosh. All things must pass
0: yeah and then oh
1: savory truffle i think that one is so clever Hmm. i feel like was that that might have been on the white album um because this mean, is an album where he got to write a few songs yeah
2: and like that know, one i money. showed you that inner light song
1: yes oh my god i love that one that one's so cool
2: what's the one i'm such an idiot right now because i've no memorized no. the song but it's like my sweet lord, Adi Krishna. <laughs> Don't ask me. <laughs> my sweet lord, I think, or something like that. Okay. One of my favorite songs of all time, and it's freaking George.
1: I know he was very undervalued,
2: um, but really this is the where he got to show that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he. Um. Yeah, he was the best Beatle. He was. What about it? Yeah, you got me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, For sure. You can
1: tell this is. I wouldn't say he got like, you know, a lot of creative control, but this was an album where he was able to write songs and bring a little bit more to the group creatively. And um, this was the point where the group had actually denounced drugs in favor of transcendental meditation. So they went on this course in India and actually 18 of the 30 tracks were written on on that meditation course and a lot of other songs that would eventually end up on like Abbey Road, Let It Be. Um, and even in their solo projects were written on this trip. So it was the most productive songwriting period for the Beatles. Um, but it was not going well internally. Um, again, there was just, there was a lot of tension between them. They were all in different They didn't fucking they like all, each
2: other anymore. They
1: they fucking hated each other. Yeah. And they hated being around each other 24 seven.
2: Yeah. You know? I mean, you got to think, you got to think you trap somebody in a relationship where the only what they're, this is how they make money. This is, you know, their job. This is their friend group. This is who, I mean, you'd get sick of looking at those other people after a while. Oh, yeah.
1: That would just be awful. Like to depend on them entirely. Like that just mm-hmm. puts a whole different strain on your relationship. Like trying to be business yeah. partners and friends and like continue that personal connection that you would had since you were young. But that's, it was just one well, not possible. Right. I think that'd just be hard for anyone to maintain um but yeah so they they got to india in mid february uh but around february 21st ringo and his wife maureen left um after just 10 days because ringo's had tummy trouble um he couldn't handle the spice he ate Indian too much food, Indian food. so they had to dude. go back
2: to england fucking shit the so britches
1: beans on toast
0: um <laughs> and then <laughs>
1: paul left a little bit later and it was actually to tend to business concerns for apple core uh, which the group did not like um because they thought that paul was becoming too capitalist because he was worried about the business and their finances they didn't like that they're like that's not very communist of you man
2: well billy not was cool different you. Billy he was, was about different. the dollar bill
1: for business exactly mm-hmm. um but john and george eventually left uh, i think like a month later after the maharishi was a accused of inappropriate behavior towards female students um and they weren't the only famous people there this was like there were a lot of famous people there at the time like actors actresses and then like songwriters um it was like a course to become gurus which again doesn't surprise me um but george was really mad at all of them because like he was taking this seriously and you can tell that through his music like he was taking a lot of um influence from indian culture and indian music Um, but the beatles they were there to treat it like a songwriting session. George was there to like actually meditate and connect. So he was getting pissed because they were treating it like a business trip, basically. Um, Mm -hmm. He was like, why are you guys doing this? And they were like, it's literally all we do. This is our job, George. Um, And so that was just another like nail in the coffin, basically is that uh, he was kind of the only one that took this seriously. Um, But they would denounce the Maharishi, which I, I don't know if that's like the title of him, like as a guru, I'm not sure about that one um they eventually ended up back in England um and then they would produce four more albums at this point so I said before when they stopped touring in 1966 they lost their mainstream of income um they wanted to focus just on like bettering the quality of their music again they hated touring um but their manager his name is Brian Epstein um he would try and sway them he was like this isn't a good idea this is literally the only way you're making money um so even though their albums would change music again they just didn't make money off of it Mm
0: -hmm. um
1: and he actually managed he managed their egos first of all but he also managed their personal finances um the beatles had no clue what was going on they were just billing doing whatever they build the company most of the time um, a company that couldn't afford it um so he would pass away um before the merger was even finalized because they had like this limited company that they were trying to like, I guess, own the rights of their music. Um, But then they made this Apple Corps to become bigger and try and again, become more tax effective and have all of these streams of income. Um, But he would die before that could actually come to fruition. Um, So on the Magical Mystery Tour, though it would be released again, it was like the first thing they ever made. Um, It would be a conversation topic, but it would not make them money. The Beatles even tried a retail store when they opened Apple Boutique, but it ultimately cost them $200,000. So between 1968 and 1970, the Beatles spent a lot of time in business meetings, which as you can imagine, they hated. Uh, So that really took a toll on them. Again, personal relationships, their finances were really struggling. And the official dissolution of the band happened at a meeting like this. Um, One of their accountants quit And his last words to the band were, your personal finances are fucked. Which, (laughs) I really like. He was just like, I don't know what to tell you. You're Um, fucked, guy. You're fucked. (laughs) Yeah, and they were just like, again, not very communist of you. Like, kind of not cool. Mm
0: -hmm. But,
1: you know, again, was it just the finances? I, I don't think Yoko is responsible. Tired of that take. In my, John, John did a lot of stuff towards the end. That was kind of, again, just like the nail in the coffin. Like, he was really sick of it and kind of looking for any excuse to leave and i think he used yoko as that excuse because they were inseparable he brought them to the beatles recordings they even brought a a bed into the studio um she became a constant figure again broke the rule of no girlfriends in the studio
2: yeah but they're using her like a damn
1: scapegoat they are that's what i'm saying he's using her just like as an excuse um i mean yeah she heavily influenced john's writing But, you know, most people are like, oh, my God, I love Imagine, I love God, like talking about all of John Solo's songs. Well, guess what? Those wouldn't be there if Yoko didn't push him in that direction. She was Mm -hmm. the one that was pushing him to be more experimental, more surrealist and heavily influenced him. Um, But I guess one of the things she did play a part um, in the studio because they practiced this form of like nonverbal communication where they would just read each other's minds because they were, you know, on a higher frequency than the band. So the oh, band would, like, my ask John ass. something. Yes. So the band would ask John something about a song and he would just like Oh he thinks just... think so. <laughs> Yoko not Oh he'd think just so. look
2: at Yoko and be like, Oh, okay, she says no. She thinks no. Oh she thinks yeah. I, I read they her mind and she said it. It. it sounds like shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, see now so... that's gonna be red flag number two for me. Yeah. Um so
1: as you can imagine they Probably weren't very happy with their development. Shut
2: up with this shit.
1: They were. uh, I would have been so sick of it too. If I like again, they had been together for like a decade at this point, right? Like maybe officially, I don't know how old they were at this point. I probably should, but I don't. Too long. Um, That's what I. Too long, exactly. Um. So it's like imagine trying to speak with like one of your best friends about your upcoming album, and they're just like completely silent, and they're like, they don't think so. I spoke to them in my mind because you know we're just oh I would be
2: like all right that's it fuck all of this I'm out
1: oh my god
2: no see that ain't I don't do that shit no no speak when you're spoken to or otherwise (laughs) shut up
1: (laughs) okay but I mean again it's, it's not her fault he is the one. It's who not her fault but she was a
2: she was fucking No, she was he was um what do you it was, she was agitating she them? Man. She
1: was a very grating person, but it's not her fault that John brought her into the studio and gave her this creative freedom in his art. That meant the Beatles. So ultimately, I think he was just looking for a reason to leave.
0: He was oh, looking definitely. for a reason to leave,
1: but he couldn't pony up and say, I don't want to do this anymore. And so when he met Yoko, he was like, All right, I'm gonna hide behind her distance myself from the group yeah yeah he was like bringing her into the creative space I'm moving on and beyond the partnership that we have I just can't say that to you and actually quit so I think the yoga just exactly and I think the yoga excuse I mean she was getting a lot of shit that was just like racist and misogynistic and chauvinistic and gross which I don't even want to get into all of that because we'd be here all night (laughs) <laughs> but I think the Yoko excuse ignores all of the other factors that were at play. I did like, too. Paul tried to bring actually Linda's father and brother into the business. So, again, when Epstein died in 1967, they needed a new manager. He managed their careers, he managed their finances, he managed everything. Um, yeah. So, Paul wanted to bring in Linda's father and again, um, his son, uh, which was a big miscalculation. Because can you imagine if John had suggested like bringing in his in laws? As their manager, Paul would have been. Well, they <laughs> you have to speak mine, You have to speak <laughs> mine. Oh my god!
2: <laughs> They'd just be signing things to each other exactly. about their. I mean, it's just so extra. I know. I'm like, the
1: more I read about him, the more I was like, come on.
2: Yeah, got a
1: grip exactly. <laughs> but so John and paul and george or not paul and george sorry george and ringo instead hired a man named alan klein um john was the one to suggest him uh this man oh this man um he was known for screwing his artists over like he used to uh represent or manage i guess the rolling stones um but he would do this thing in their contracts where, like the band wouldn't get royalties or like he would get a huge payout basically he was making sure these artists yeah they made it big they made money but he was making it too, and they didn't know. Um, He was actually... He wanted to sign the Beatles back in 1964, um, but Brian Epstein said, no, we're not doing that. Um, So after he died, he was like, there's my cue, Um, Mm -hmm. and contacted John uh, because John told an interviewer, yeah, the Beatles are going to be broke in six months. So Klein was like, here's my time to shine. And he got a meeting with John and kissed his ever-loving ass. He was talking about... (laughs) Because... Can you say Opa D? Opa D? Thank you. Um, John called that granny shit, which really hurt Paul's little feelings. Paul would not perform the song live because it really hurt. He was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. he called it granny shit. That hurts. Um,
0: well, fuck him because it's a great song.
1: Fuck him. Exactly. And he wanted to talk shit on like all the, I don't, I guess like more expected Beatles songs, like Blackbird and all of that you want to talk shit on all the Paul songs well guess what his are the ones that are still most popular like to this day everybody mm-hmm. knows fucking blackbird
2: everybody knows blackbird
1: like shut the fuck up Don. and if someone <laughs> taught, like you want to bring up revolution number nine have you ever tried to sit through that song which song art,
0: yeah not one of my favorites.
1: Art? no um so yeah you can say what you want about granny shit, but granny shit's old, so.
2: Who's responsible for Helter Skelter?
1: Exactly. Let's ignore the other connotations. He wrote Helter Skelter by the USSR, like, the songs that most people know and love. Mm-hmm. Honey Pie. Oh, I love Honey Pie.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Then, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, Klein was just saying that to John. He was like, I love what you're doing. I can't believe that the Beatles are doing this to you. And that they won't let you put car crash sounds and, like, baby cries and just, like, looping sirens in a song. Like, they're so stupid. Like, you should let me manage you and then you can do what you want. So he basically just got John to swoon. He knew exactly how to please him and how to appeal to his god po- complex. Um, so John was hooked. And then he persuaded uh, George and Ringo to retain Klein as well. The Rolling Stones tried to dissuade them, but they went ahead with it anyway. Uh, and again one of the final nails in the coffin um it was another point of contention between them so though the band was officially done in September of 1969 um John just walked out after signing the contract he said this is it um but they in early 1969 they were actually planning a live performance comeback so um there's a song that eventually ended up like in a live docking art. I guess live documentary. Um, basically, it was just about the recording process of "Let It Be." Um, so they recorded it in early 1969, uh, and again became point of contention between the band because they were filming the recording sessions to make the documentary. Um, it was supposed to be again the Beatles foray back into live performance. They were planning like a huge concert broadcast, and I guess eventually maybe more tours. I'm not sure about that point. Um, But the undertaking just ultimately was, again, one of the last nails in the coffin. It exacerbated the tension in the group and would lead to their demise because they were filmed from the moment that they stepped into Twickenham Studios until The Last Beatle left. So it would constrain creativity and it would stretch the Beatles to their limits. Um, And this is around the time that Harrison left because he was like, this just fucking sucks. Like the sessions were killing him. He was like, it's not even... That's not fun anymore. Like I dread going into the studio every day. So he quit. Um, And one of the stipulations of him coming back into the band was no more live performance. We're not doing the concert broadcast and I want to move back to Apple Records. Those were the stipulations of him coming back. And with the concert broadcast abandoned, they needed to find a conclusion for their film. So they decided to give one last live performance So on January 30th of 1969, the Beatles put on an unannounced concert on the roof of Apple headquarters. And for half an hour, they seemed whole again, like they were enjoying themselves. They were enjoying playing music with each other again. And I think it's kind of hard to reconcile that this was a band that would break up just like 10 months later, because even though they, again, practically hated each other at this point. When they were just up there on that roof and able to just play their songs in front of like a few people and not the giant crowds that they had in 1966, like I think it just reminded them, you know, of what maybe could have been. Like this is what Nostalgia. we would it to be, but it's not what it's gonna be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, wow, oh, now that we've come to the breakup, we're pretty much at the end of it here, brother. And though we've so- strayed from our
2: original point, but, I mean, I it. feel like the breakup would have happened either way. Oh, yeah. It's a miracle
1: they made it to nineteen. I was going to say <laughs> that. I
2: think it's very astonishing that they even made it as long as they did.
1: Yeah. With everything that was going on, I don't know
2: how they did. I think, I think the Paul is dead thing could have played a part in that
1: yeah probably because i can imagine that i would get sick and tired of hearing that every day and then having your work just constantly scrutinized by the public for literally any other reason than just like like guys i'm alive i wrote it
2: i think paul after i mean i did like some of his solo stuff
1: some of it's good like people can say all they want about wings
2: there's some good stuff <laughs> in there. There's some
0: good stuff There's in some there. good
2: stuff. But... but, I mean, probably none of them were as successful as Paul in their solo careers, even oh, yeah. though I thought George was awesome. But, but here's 100%. one thing you said over and over again that just finally clicked in my head was Apple Core. Mm-hmm. And what is the Apple about? Because now we have Apple everything. iPhone, this, that, the third... And I'm not saying they got it from the Beatles, but the apple does symbolize, like in the Garden of Eden, the temptation of man to to sin, to become, like they, they were in a holy, pure state, and Eve was tempted by evil to eat the apple, and that's why we're all fucked off now, because of the original sin, the first sin. So, Do you think that the apple symbolizes that in any way? The corruption of innocence?
1: I think it could, because if we go back to that idea that, like, again, summer of love, all these altruistic ideals, like, at the end of the day, like, they could have been corrupting some kids' drugs and sex and alcohol and, like, all of that, which, like, are they normal instances of life? Sure. But, uh, I mean, they were part of the counterculture for the reason, because not everybody was in with that. Right. So I think that when you take into account, yeah, all the things that the Beatles are associated with, whether they wanted to be or not, yeah, I think they could symbolize all that temptation and,
2: and corruption of innocence and
1: corruption of innocence and everything that they were doing. Because again, following false leaders, they were idols at this point, and they were like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and idolatry. When at least John was like, "What's the point of idolatry when I'm not who they think mm-hmm. I am?" I'm not who they put on a pedestal and they don't know that because we don't let them know that because so I, mean, I don't know. If would
2: you say that the Beatles, everybody knows who they are. Michael Jackson eventually ended up buying the rights Apple. to the Beatles. Oh, the so, Beatles!
1: Their kids own Apple. I think or it's like managed by someone in their kids respect.
2: I know he owns Apple. all their music or owned. Rather, all their music um, and stuff, all the rights mm. to their music and stuff. And he had a Neverland Ranch where kids that would files. come and stuff. You know what I'm saying? It's just like they're all. It's almost like they they admire each other.
0: Maybe. And but... their
2: their when you said he had the hots for his mom, I was done right there with his ass. <laughs> I didn't know that. I did not know that. I wish I didn't. <laughs> there's something some things you cannot unhear. Mm-mm. Hell no. So I already asked you the honorary question on the last show. So now I got to think up a new one. I'll think, uh, how about this? I'll do two. Okay. Rate the Beatles 1 to 10 how amazing they are, 10 being the most amazing.
1: Oh, goodness. I don't think you're going to like my answer. I'm it's gonna... okay.
2: It's just an answer. 7.58.
1: You're an eight. They are good, but there are some things that attract from it. I mean, like, let's go eight. Let's go eight.
2: I, I'm going to go eight as well.
1: I was so I'm going to go eight as K. well. Trevor. Okay.
2: Yeah, I think, I think maybe ELO is a ten for me. So, and I don't even, I haven't even looked into if they were scumbags or not. My brother mm-hmm. met one of the founding members of ELO, and he was a very nice guy. I met him one time at a birthday party. Seemed like That's a pretty awesome. fine feller. So, I'm going to go ten on ELO and 8 on the beatles. And now I, I'm I going to No, yeah, I think it's fair too because it's not like they were the end all be all, but they no. played a major role in in future music.
1: Oh, for sure, and especially in kind of breaking down the barriers that especially the the 40s and the 50s put up in pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um so I think they were yeah, a big step in the counterculture for sure.
2: And I already asked you the scary movie question, but now I'll recommend one since I already got okay. your answer on the last episode. Have you watched the remake of Candyman? What's by Candyman? Jordan Peele.
1: What's
2: oh something? my god, girl. Do you have? <laughs> okay, do you have Amazon Prime? I do. You need to get your little ass on there, type in <laughs> Candyman, and watch it. It came out in like two 2000... 21, I think, or 2020 or 2021. So it's like brand new. Okay. And it's very artistic, very dark. I think he could have did more with it as far as like the terrifying parts of it, like in the original one, but he comes at it from more of like a storyteller. And the reason I recommend it to you is because I think you're kind of like me and you, you can read between the lines on some shit. And I think it's a movie that you'll like because it's like very interesting and intriguing in a story and a good plot, a good it's like technically scary, but it's not at the same time. Okay. It's not gonna do stupid like little it.
1: jump scares
2: and 'cause that's what... it's really not got a lot of those. It's more like okay, it starts like... off like it, it almost explains how Candyman became Candyman, okay, which so. I like. Because it's not just I like, like you know what I mean? A slasher where you don't even know yes. why he's a psychopath.
1: That's where I'm like, I don't that cheap stuff doesn't get me. I'm like, it's not scary. Mm-hmm. It's and done. Yeah.
2: So any closing oh, thoughts before I, we go?
1: Can I change my first answer? Can I answer my favorite thrillers?
2: Yes. I
1: love Saw, and I'm not ashamed so to admit good.
2: it. I
1: don't think you've watched all scary of them? movies. I don't know if I've seen every single one. I think the last Oh, what's the one where it's like I've seen the, the lady with the needles? That yeah, two? that'd be
2: number two. Sockies. I've seen
1: four, up to four. Okay, because I've
2: seen them all. And my favorite is the second one with the girl with the needles. Yeah. When she sticks her hand up in that glass box and the blades slice. Yeah, that was a goodie. I do like that Mark Wahlberg's brother was in that one. Donnie. Yeah. Donnie.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I like the one where they wake up in like a mill, like a grain mill or something. They got like big silos and shit. And it's like a real estate agent and like some other like real bourgeois assholes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they wake up and they're, they literally, the point of the first challenge was to work together to get to the common goal. But they were just like, they did not care if the one next to them got fucking buzzsawed in the face. Like, they were just, you know what I mean? It's like they were not working together. And it just going to show you, like, people do not have each other's best interests at heart. You know, no. I feel like was the point of that movie. The, the, like, I think it was the fourth one. Yeah, I, I think it was know the how fourth you remember one. Because I, know, I, I love scary movies, movies girl. I love horror movies.
1: Like <laughs> No, but yeah, no, you make a point because it's like they know that if they don't work together, like it's going to spell both of their ends. There's,
2: oh like, yeah, Fuck it. you have to. The whole point, or, or like in the second one, follow instructions. Mm-hmm. If, they, if he would have just did what you know, what's his name, John? If he would have just yeah. did what, what he said, then he would have gotten his son at the end. But he had to go all, you know, macho man and bust, mm-hmm. try to find the house, and bust in, and he ended up dying.
1: And when the kid in the office all along, in the safe. Man, he was in the was safe the, the whole
2: time. Yeah. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Man, the brain Again, surgery the part color. was wicked.
1: Mm-hmm. Wild.
2: Oh, yeah. man, and she had that collar on with the bullets. She ended up dying, didn't she? It exploded her head.
1: Yeah, she had to. And like, so I think it's like one of the first scenes. But it's the guy who like, um, like he like tries to look through people or something, and he gets shot by a shotgun. What's that That's one?
2: the second one.
1: Again, follow instructions.
2: Follow instructions. He was told not to Very do. Very simple. It. I think I'd What's survive it? if I was in a saw. I think i would build different. I think you and I could I, do it. If we I think were in we that gray silo it. together.
1: Mm-hmm. Shoot, I'm five
2: yeah i know we'd work together for to achieve the common goal of not getting our tits sawed off <laughs> exactly yeah i think that would be pretty good motivation for you like <laughs> that is good motivation <laughs> okay uh, i think we're gonna wrap it up there thank you, you so it. much for coming on kelsey oh thank you it was so fun all right everyone thank you for listening and have a great night